One of the lessons I've learned in martial arts is that standing still is asking to be hit. If you stand still in business, your competition is going to catch up. I start each morning practicing martial arts because it brings me balance and focus. And I want to know how others stay motivated as well. So join me for conversations on business, innovation, and entrepreneurship. I'm Dan Schulman. Welcome to Never Stand Still. Hi, everyone. I'm Dan Schulman, president and CEO of PayPal, and welcome to another episode of Never Stand Still. Today, I'm thrilled to have Bernard Tyson, the president and CEO of Kaiser Permanente, uh, with us today. Bernard, welcome. Oh, it's great to be here. So nice to have you. And I want to give a little background, if you don't mind, uh, so our viewers have a little bit of an understanding of, um, you know, why I felt so strongly um, that I wanted uh, us to be together uh, on the show. So Bernard has a very interesting history. Um, there are very few people who can say that they were brought up in a home when, uh, when they were just a kid that was not bought by their parents, but built by his father. His father was a carpenter and a pastor. Um, his mom suffered from diabetes, uh, stay-at-home mom. Bernard spent a lot of time uh, in hospitals uh, with her, understanding just how the healthcare system began to work. It inspired him to initially think about being a physician. And uh, he uh, enrolled at uh, Golden Gate University. He got his, both his uh, BA and MBA, uh, focusing on healthcare. And then, amazingly, which never happens anymore today, he uh, started off with Kaiser and has spent 34 years uh, at Kaiser, becoming its president and CEO in 2013, I believe. Um, and uh, we're going to explore a number of things. Time Magazine, by the way, named Bernard as one of the most influential people in the world. You'll see in our interview, I hope, why, uh, they, <laughs> why they named him that. Um, he is a passionate, thoughtful, caring individual. Um, and he is one of the leading spokespeople uh, for healthcare, uh, serving some 13 million uh, customers uh, uh, today. And so, uh, Bernard, again, I want to welcome you and thank you so much uh, for coming on to the program. Thank you. It's great being here. Yeah. So why don't we start off into this? I, I mentioned early on that uh, your mom uh, had health issues uh, her life. Can you talk maybe a little bit about um, how those early formative years uh, impacted your decision and, and the way you think about healthcare today? Yeah, sure. And um, it really is great to be here. Great to yeah, spend some so time nice with you. Yeah, so nice to see you too. So a couple of lessons learned now reflecting on my childhood. The first one is uh, my mother, who is still alive uh, and still kicking. And, yeah, fantastic. And, uh, she suffered a lot from diabetes and the side effects of diabetes and everything. She had an amazing physician. So that was my first introduction to a doctor. And he not only cared for and cared about her, he cared about us. And so he was like a family doctor. And he was our advocate. 
and yeah. he was her advocate. And so I assumed that everyone had it that way. Yeah. Uh, and then that was my introduction to mm-hmm. disparities. Yeah. That I later discovered that my mother was in a unique situation because she had such a wonderful physician who was an advocate of her and her well-being. And so the resources were brought in. Uh, I later discovered that that's not the way the healthcare system yeah. works for everyone. So that was the beginning, if you will, of a, of a thought process that today leads to my passion around the elimination of disparities of care. Yeah. Um, the second one is the beginning of understanding a physician. And you're right. I've always wanted to be a doctor. Yep. Uh, I may still someday become a doctor. My mom has always wanted me to be a doctor, too, by the way. As you know, we're opening up a medical school next year. Yep. Uh, I've been hinting uh, that I might want to be the first student, uh, but so far, no takers. (laughs) So I'm not sure how I'll squeeze that into my schedule, but who knows what the future holds. So um, that also led me clearly down the path of wanting to be a doctor at first, and then as I started to evolve more to the business side of it, I still wanted to be in healthcare. Uh, And then when I graduated from Golden Gate uh, University with uh, my master's degree or in preparation for my master's degree, I went to work for Kaiser Permanente in San Francisco. As an intern. As an intern, because I wanted to really learn the system since we studied it so much in my master's program. And, you know, the rest is history, that uh, I came in as an intern. I completed uh, three of the six months. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my assignments was to go in and do an assessment in the outpatient medical records department. I did the assessment. The administrator told me to go in and fix it. Uh, I built a case around how difficult it would be to fix it as an intern. But as a manager, I think I could get it done. So technically, I completed three of the six months. And I've always said that in the last three months of my career at Kaiser Permanente, if all goes well, I owe the company three months of internship uh, (laughs) at today's rate for an intern. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's great. That's great. You know, um, your mom went through um, a lot of uh, medical issues and you saw firsthand uh, what a great physician can do there. But you've also gone through some health issues yourself. You've had some heart issues and um, you've experienced this firsthand. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what that was like when it, when it's not you observing, but it's you yourself <laughs> within the healthcare system, what that's like? Yeah, sure. Um, I uh, had a... Uh, uh, what turned out to be it went into heart failure. Uh, mm. uh, now I guess about 13 years ago, um, and so heart disease run in my family, and yeah. uh, I clearly thought everything was fine, and it turns out that I had some challenges as well. I ended up uh, having uh, open heart surgery, mm. and uh, so I got it firsthand, and. Uh, really went from a situation where I was out of town and ended up uh, in heart failure, and they induced a coma, uh, uh, as I learned scary. later. So yeah. I really thought that was it for me. Yeah. Uh, and then they brought me back about three days later, they said, and so obviously I take their word. 
Uh, and I ended up needing uh, open heart surgery. I happened to be in Las Vegas when it happened, and uh, they s brought me back to Kaiser Permanente in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So I had my uh, heart surgery done uh, in Kaiser Permanente. Um, a couple of things about that. The first thing is the reason why I wanted it in Kaiser Permanente is because I know the data. Yeah. And I know that we have some of the best statistics for success with uh, heart surgery and with heart care. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted it in the facility that I knew was one of many inside of Kaiser Permanente in which we performed this uh, surgery. The second thing is when you're on your back and you are going through this situation, you realize how vulnerable you are. Yeah. Um, I was at the mercies of everybody else. I mean, I was literally at a stage where I couldn't move, I couldn't do anything. And you're taking in a lot of information. And obviously, for me, it was the first time I really had a chance to reflect on that I'm a human. Yeah. And so it was sort of like a real reality uh, check. The people were incredible. Yeah. Um, the, the, um, the takeaways is uh, a couple of things. One, um, I call it today high-tech, high-touch. Yeah. So I'm all into the technology. Uh, I am so proud of what we're doing at Kaiser Permanente and continuing to embrace technology that enable us to be better yeah. than ever before. Yeah. Our physicians are doing amazing work and it's complemented with the technology, but nothing substitute for the touch. I yeah. tell this story all the time about uh, I had a lot of people coming in to check on me, as you can imagine. Yep. Everybody yep. wants to be helpful. Everybody have advice when you're down. Uh, everyone is a specialist. You know how it goes. Yep. And, and it's all out of love, right? Yep. So I had the pretend image. So I was lying in bed pretending like I'm on top of the world, that uh, uh, this is going to be just fine. I'm not worried and everything. But yet inside I was... Of And one day when I was finally alone and the nurse was in the room with me and she came up to me and she clearly could see beyond the facade. Yeah. And all she did was touch my hand. That was mm -hmm. it. And lifted it and walked away. That touch meant the world to me. Yeah. It, to this day, I can feel that touch when I tell the story. It was the most impactful, compassionate touch that a person could have at a moment like that. Yeah. I've often said, you can't write a procedure for that, right? Yeah. So, so this, this, this idea that you know, we can proceduralize things, you cannot write a procedure for compassion yeah. and for caring on display. That, that touch was inside of her. It had nothing to do with Kaiser yeah. Permanente, had nothing to do with uh, healthcare, it had to do with this incredibly competent nurse who knew at a very sophisticated level how to really care for a patient. Mm -hmm. And she knew all I needed was the touch. The second thing is um, having doctors that can tell you things where you can understand it yeah. And take it out of medical speech yeah. and really relate to you as a lay person, if yeah. you will, and explain it and give you options and talk to you about what to expect and all of that is incredibly helpful. Yeah.
um, in this uh, in this experience. And then so the last much thing, has to be mental as well as the physical piece of it, right? Yeah. They've got to be tied together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it, it is. Uh, we talk a lot inside of Kaiser Permanente, and and um, I spend a lot of time on this about total health yeah. being mind, body, and spirit. Yeah, I want so to talk about is that. So paying attention yeah. to all aspects of yeah. the person, the whole person, uh, as well as the family. And so, uh, and I'm glad we're going to talk about that yeah. because that that played out in my situation. Yeah. So it wasn't just about my heart. Yeah. It was about my head also. Where was I mentally? Yeah. I was going through a very stressful time. And so how to manage that as a care team to make sure yeah. that you had a... 360 degree on me, if you will, as we call it. Yep. Not just yep. we're there to focus on his heart. No, you're there to focus on the whole person. And that's what I got was a whole person approach. Yep. And the resources were brought to bear to deal with Bernard, the person, not Bernard having a heart issue yeah. that he has to deal with. Yeah. So I went to the open heart surgery. Um, quite an experience. <laughs> yeah, I an can experience. only imagine. And uh, it, it, uh, it was the best care as you can imagine, um, and it was all about a partnership. Uh, I fully recovered, and have an incredible team that works with me all the time now, and I'm thriving. Uh, and that's what this is about. And, and total health is about how to maximize your healthy life years. And so here I am dealing with the realities of heart disease but also living my life to its fullest. And yeah. that's the combination of what we talk about all the time, how to help people to maximize their healthy life years. Yeah. The reason why I'm so vocal about this is because I want everyone to understand you can have certain diseases or issues and you can get those handled and taken care of. And the objective is how to manage it when it happens. But I want to talk also later about work we're doing to prevent these things. Yeah. And because that is the future of healthcare, both early and earlier and earlier detection, as well as in some cases, moving much more towards curative medicine. Yeah. Okay. So we have a lot to talk about. All right. So <laughs> one thing I'm interested in is you went through this experience firsthand. You're in a Kaiser facility you're the CEO of the company. Um, so probably what you experienced was the best of the best. Can you contrast that? Because you're such a vocal spokesperson for the improvements that need to be made in the healthcare system with what maybe a typical person might face when they go into that and what you're trying to do about that. Because you have this idea of total health um, and you've seen firsthand how somebody like yourself can be treated. And you also have so many stories about how just people have a difficult time navigating the healthcare system. Can you talk a little bit about that contrast and how this idea of total health comes into play with that? Yeah, sure. I want to challenge, though, your your premise in the beginning that uh, that there's sort of like is a natural that I got the best of the best. Uh, and a lot of people challenge me on that. They go, yeah, come on, Bernard. <laughs> and and uh, no, I, I think that one of the things that you will find in- I hope of, they treated you well. No, no, they treated me exceptionally yeah. well. But I would say they would have treated me that way if I was just Bernard minus Kaiser Permanente. I mean, we see this all the time. 
we get the data directly from our members. Love and that. when yeah. we have challenges and problems, we address those problems. I was at our new uh, sports medicine center last week in San Francisco. And uh, this is the new center that's going with the uh, um, Warriors and, yeah. and yeah. Da- down in Thrive Center. It's Thrive City. And um, uh, we have Thrive City in San Francisco. We have Thrive Center that we're building in Oakland. Yeah. So I went to the sports medicine facility, our new sports medicine facility, and the head physician there was pleased to tell me that four of the Warriors were there yesterday. And I was so excited to hear that. But then he proceeded to tell me that any member who is referred to sports medicine can use any of the equipments uh, mm-hmm. inside of our sports medicine facility. Fantastic. So that's, you know, that's a, exactly. a, a plug yeah. and also just a, a building for, yeah. um, for uh, we try to, we treat everybody the same. You know, I think that um, when you are dealing with uh, diverse populations, which is what we're about, yeah. we take care, I call it, we take care of the world. Uh, so we have every kind of nationality from all walks of life who are members of Kaiser Permanente. So we work very hard to what I call understand the nuances of the different cultures that we take care mm-hmm. of. Um, how I speak to you may not be appropriate when I'm dealing with someone else yeah. who may have a cultural background that requires a different approach to reach them in the right way. Interesting. And that is really when you are looking at a health system that's getting much more sophisticated and how to create a a very inclusive environment where every patient and every member understand that they are special as an individual. And so how do I relate to Bernard, um, a a male who also happens to be African-American? And so what unique features of his culture, of his background, Mm -hmm. of issues that he and others have to deal with that I need to be sensitive to as a health delivery system to make sure that he feels uh, um, uh, respected, uh, that he will trust us, and that he will truly understand that we have his interests at heart. Mm-hmm. That's when you're taking it to the next level. I think the second part of this is, you know, we used to talk a lot about um, equality, right? That everybody should have equal. We're past that. Mm. It is equity. It yeah. is about, no, you need to get what you need to be at the maximum health level. That doesn't mean that you're going to be taken away from the other's opportunity, but you're going to look at how to tailor it much more to um, if we know, which the data shows, that we have um, some unique challenges in our physicians in managing blood pressure in the African-American population. Mm -hmm. Well, it means that we come up with more creative ways of how we outreach, how we maintain the partnership, and how we make sure that we make ourselves available in some cases in unique ways that is tailored to meeting a population that may have other characteristics that will allow us to leverage that. So, for example, we have projects around the country where we train uh, barbers and beauticians how Mm. to talk about 
um, high blood pressure, how to talk about cancer care, how to link their um, their customers to back to Kaiser Permanente. We go in and do blood pressure checks in those environments. We work with the church community in some uh, organizations that allows us to have a different kind of access point where there's a different kind of trusting relationship. And so some people would say that those are extra things that you're doing. And we say that's equity. That yeah. is tailoring the different resources to meet the needs of this population. It also seems like that plays into this idea of total health that you're talking about, this 360 degree that's tailored to that individual. And, and to your point, it's not just the physical uh, remedy that was occurring, but their mental health, their family life, maybe their community a little right. bit. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that grew? Sure. It's it's an evolution of really where I think healthcare is going and should go. Yeah. It is definitely where Kaiser Permanente is going. And that is we've always uh, We've always subscribed to prevention. Uh, that is a combination of of wellness. Uh, it's, a, it's early detection. It, it's a it's a strong belief that preventative care is the best medicine. So you want to catch things early. You, you have better outcomes. You can treat it more mm -hmm. efficiently. And most importantly, it helps the person to stay healthier longer, yep. which is the objective, how to maximize healthy life years. So we understand that um, medical care plays a small but major role in the overall health of a person. But the fact of the matter is there are determinants of health that is outside of the lane of health care that impacts a person's total health than anything else. Yeah. Some of it is strictly behavior. It, things that you do on a day in and day out basis, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I do, is a better determinant of my health than medical care. So how well I eat, yeah. um, how well do I exercise, how well do I sleep, um, what's my stress level, uh, th those factors directly impacts my health. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that I'm thriving, and thank God I have a, a tremendously um, helpful team. And uh, we we did a commercial years ago. We call it an entourage. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> each of our members have an entourage of of health professionals to help them to live the everyday life. Um, but I also know from them and from my own readings that I can do things that will directly impact my outcome. So this morning I was up on the treadmill. You yeah. know? Uh, I felt good this morning getting on the treadmill, but some mornings I'm like dragging, right? Lifting weights and um, trying to eat right yeah. and you know relaxing at times and, and those kind of things. The second thing is... Um, we now are moving forward with how to begin to integrate those um, behaviors into a holistic view of the person. And so now we are starting to ask more questions mm -hmm. than, you know, how many times a week do you exercise and um, how is your eating, et cetera, and how's your sleeping? We're now getting more data that we're asking our members for as we look at 
the 360, you know, um, social isolation is a big issue mm. and is a big issue in mm. particular for our um, seniors. Yeah. So we want to know, what's your social activity level? Do you have other family members around you? Are you living at home alone? What activities do you participate in? So it's to get a sense of making sure that no one is lonely. Yeah. Um, we have a, a percentage of our members who are at or slightly above the poverty level. We want to understand um, how are you eating? How are you sleeping? Mm -hmm. What's the housing situation? So it's really understanding more of the total person so you have a real picture of understanding how we can be helpful in helping them to maintain health. Yeah. Now, most of the industry is still in a fix-me mentality, yes. right? So they're waiting no, until so something goes I, wrong. People would probably right. think about That's right. It. Yeah. Whereas our, our mentality is how do we stay on top of this with you in partnership? And let's make sure that you are thriving. And so we reach out to you when it's time for you to come in for your blood test. And we do many things to make that as convenient as possible. We reach out to you when it's time to come in for your physical. We follow up mm. when you're not taking your medication because we know all those things would, in fact, lead to less than an optimum uh, outcome. Yep. So it's interesting. Um, you mentioned this before, and when I reached out to our LinkedIn um, viewers, one of the questions that came back is, how are these new technologies that are emerging things like artificial intelligence um, going to impact healthcare going forward. And I, I think I'm beginning to get a little bit of insight because you think about this so differently, I think, than a typical uh, healthcare provider might. Um, how do you think new technologies will shift the way that you're able to provide total health going forward? Oh, I, I think it's going to have profound um effects uh, in, in healthcare. Yeah. Uh, and I think in particular, it's going to really impact the uh, early detection. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think also the management of chronic care uh, diseases and the ability to deal with episodic care differently. Uh, and then Equally as important, curative medicines yeah. of the future, um, I think, is in our uh, lifetime. So when you go first to the early Pretty exciting. Huh? <laughs> I mean, all of that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. No, it, it's it, amazing. It, 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 um, I mean, it's exciting. I mean, we, we, we're going to have to sort through the complicated issues like affordability. Yeah. Um, and how do we afford this? And how do we build the efficiencies in it, which is a big part of our agenda also, yeah. is affordability. But when you stop and think about it, right now, the trigger to healthcare is predominantly in the industry when something goes wrong in your body. Yeah. And that's usually pain or something out mm. of the ordinary, mm. right? And then you interact with the healthcare system. Uh, in our system, it's a system of how do we reach out to you on a regular basis, sort of like a checkup, and to make sure everything is fine. You look at what where AI and technology is going, you're talking about new ways of having sensors and signals that yeah. will give you a warning sign earlier upstream so you can address the issue up there. 
Now, that is a, a formula for success, most importantly for the person, yeah. because you, in fact, are catching something earlier, and the objective is to maximize the healthy life years, right? So you're going upstream, and you are catching things even earlier. We can show you inside of Kaiser Permanente, when it's upstream, not only is the better outcomes as a result of it, meaning we can fix the problems with our fantastic uh, physicians, and the care teams, but it also is a more efficient, from an economic standpoint, way of caring for the person. So it is a holistic approach within itself. You go to the other end and you start to look at how AI and other technology is impacting care now. Um, we have a, a, um, a project going on right now where uh, through AI, if you're a patient in one of our hospitals, uh, this a system is analyzing all your data while you're in the hospital. So this system can now give the care team an early warning sign that something is going on in your body, that it is picking up a trend mm -hmm. that could lead to a bad outcome, right? And so we have these rapid response teams uh, in our hospital. These respond teams come together for, you know, cold blues. Yeah. And these yeah. are a patient is coding or a patient is in a very serious situation. And so if you're on the cold blue, cold blue team, you come from all parts of the organization. Uh, if they call a cold blue in room 323 or something, yeah. well, you see this team rushing into the room and they're taking care of you. Now, this team will go in the room and you're actually sitting in bed and you are feeling okay. And this team will go in and say, Mr. Tyson, we're picking up on some signals that we want to check some things out to make sure that you don't end up getting sicker in the next 12 to 18 hours. I mean, that's, that's a whole paradigm shift now, yeah. right? And, and so that's going upstream to be able to care for the person before something happens in a moment. These are the kinds of possibilities that's going to happen as we start to learn more and more about the richness of the data that we have and how, as we call it, a third eye can help us to see it. Yeah, We are looking at um, cases where you do um, uh, x-rays uh, and you can have the AI intelligence now to read it at another level to complement the readings of our specialists. And it's all about just adding to the possibility of making sure we hit that 100% certainty every time. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the goal, is to get quality as high as it potentially can be. And these are all complements to take it to that next level. Yeah. It, it, inside of Kaiser Permanente, we don't look at it as it's a way to get rid of people or it's a way yeah. to yeah. manage resources. It really is a strategy of augmenting the intelligence with the intelligence of our people. It's not substituting. It's not eliminating. It really is how we bring this together in our model of high-touch, high-tech. Yeah. I think that's a great point. So much of... Uh the concern about technology is sort of the impacts that it can have on workforce, the impacts that it will have really on every aspect uh, of our culture. And it's so great to hear you talk about the real positive things that can be done with technology. But there are other issues that you are a spokesperson for, and um, I want to talk to you about some of those that... Uh, and one of them is sort of represent, uh, representative leadership. Um, 
You look at the number of African-Americans that are CEOs in Fortune 500 companies. You look at diversity and inclusion in general. I mean, we're here in Silicon Valley. Um, we still have a large issue in terms of inclusion in our workforce. Um, it's one of the key driving values um, that I have that, uh, that we try to uh, address uh, here at PayPal. I always come back to this quote that uh, Justin Trudeau's dad um, said, in which he said that diversity is a fact, but inclusion is a choice. And I love that, uh, uh, that quote. Um, and I think that it's incumbent on us to think about how do we think about creating more diversity, more inclusion. Can you talk a little bit about some of your thoughts around um, how we start to make a move towards more inclusion, towards more representative leadership uh, than we have today? Yeah, I uh, I can relate to that, you know, whole point about diversity and inclusion. And uh, I've often said uh, the number count means nothing. Yeah. Uh, if the controlling power is based on the majority who sets the agenda, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so it doesn't matter if you are a leadership team of 12 or 15 people and you brought in, let's say, two African-Americans, yeah. but the two African-Americans have to figure out how to uh, assimilate into the group. That's not inclusion. That is yeah. you assimilate into the group, which means that you don't be who you can really be. You figure out how do you relate to everybody else. Mm -hmm. That that mm -hmm. day is over. Yeah. An inclusive environment says that we all have an equal right to be at this table. And th the point, the point is you want the whole person to show up every day. That's the point, right? You don't want people coming into your organization stripping themselves of who they really are so they can figure out how to get along with everybody else to get through the day. Yeah. You you want to create an environment where my view is as important as your view and we agree that we have to figure out how to work together because we're both here for this objective, right? And, and so what we try to do is to create what I call a speak-up environment that Everybody has the ability to speak truth to power, whatever that power means to you. The environment that we try to create is that we celebrate and appreciate you. And we may not get it right every time. So our intention is to continue to learn. Mm -hmm. So when we screw up, let's talk about it. Yeah. The worst thing you could do is hide it or to treat it like it's really that difficult. Talking about race is emotional because it only gets discussed when something triggers it, right? Mm -hmm. We've had this this weekend, yeah, right? Yeah. It, it triggers yeah. the emotion versus how do we just talk about the fact that I, I'll never forget one time I said to a colleague years ago, it was the most insulting comment. It was, I don't treat you differently. I'm colorblind towards you. And I said, what an insult to me, my history, <laughs> Yeah. You know, colorblind, that's that's the worst statement you can make, right? Yeah. I'm looking right at you, yeah. African-American man, 
Hopefully, yep. I'm a little bit handsome. I don't know. And you say, <laughs> kind of, yeah, kind of. you say, I'm colorblind. <laughs> I don't see any color in you. Really? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. versus, hey, what are you about? Right? Yeah. What what turns you on? What, what lights you up every day that you want to achieve on behalf of the company? And so the point is how to create an environment where I have a sense of ownership for this yeah. environment. That's what an inclusive environment means, is that I could just be who I am, I understand that I exist in a larger context, right? So this is not about I'm some radical person with a radical view yeah. and I want to convert the world. Yeah. No, this says, I don't want you, Bernard, to come into the walls of Kaiser Permanente every day and you have to strip yourself of who you really are so you can exist inside of Kaiser Permanente. That's added pressure, stress, mm -hmm. and that takes you away from 110% of productivity, which is what I'm after, yeah. that you and I both feel great about. It's yeah. not about using you. You go home feeling like I really contributed to what we're trying to do at Kaiser Permanente versus first I had to deal with this, then I had to deal with that, then yeah. I had to deal with this other thing, and then finally I got my job done. Right. So that's the point of what you are trying to create. I think the second thing is w when I hear leaders like you and I and CEOs uh, act as if you have no power to change mm -hmm. the environment, mm -hmm. I would challenge that every day of the week. I I any CEO can make a definitive change in his or her environment. That's part of the job. Right, totally and, and so you, you're working with the organization, but you set the expectations, you set the temperature, you set the agenda for these companies. And so I don't buy this theory that this thing is so hard, and you know, and and it, it is hard work, but that's hard work regardless, right? But you want the hard work to be inclusive of everyone versus I'm just dealing with a majority of whatever, however you define that view, and then everybody else has to fit in. And so there's a direct responsibility that the top leadership uh, and the, in particular the CEO has in creating and fostering that kind of environment. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I think just everybody watching uh, the show, I think that is an incredibly important point that when you have certain responsibilities uh, and you're a leader, whether you're a leader of an organization or a leader of a part of an organization, you make a real difference. You and make a real you difference. You should not abdicate from that responsibility ever. Yeah. 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 You know, the, the other thing right quick that, uh, that I learned um, sometimes ago and I share, sometime ago and I share this a lot. Um, because people have found it helpful. And, and it's a situation that I was in. And it was a lesson learned for me because a, a lot of times, um, you know, in, in my um, existence, uh, 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 there's no question that I've seen uh, racist behavior. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't want to deny that. Yeah. That, that you, when you discount everything else, you come to one final point is, well, this person, right? So I, I, I'm not blind to that. Yeah. However, so one time I was working um, in one of our facilities and I went up and I was partnering with a medical director, a uh, wonderful individual. But at the time, he and I um, just did not get along mm -hmm. from day one. It was just bad. Uh, he was an elderly uh, professional physician, a wonderful individual by all accounts. 
uh, we just didn't relate to each other. And I was a hospital administrator. He was the physician in chief. And it really got bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 there was just, it was like bad, mm-hmm. right? And it was only getting worse. <laughs> uh-huh. And then one day he came into my office and he said, you know, Bernard, can we go out and take a walk? And then my mental map was, oh, now you're going to take me in the woods, huh? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll see where this is going. <laughs> I mean, that's how bad it was in my own mind, right? And so we went out for a walk and he said to me, he said, you know, this may do it in terms of dooming our relationship, but I have a need to tell you this. And he opened up to me and he said, you know, I have honestly been trying as hard as I can to relate and to figure out how to build this relationship. And clearly, uh, I'm not doing a good job. I mean, he just accepted complete ownership for this, right? And he then went on to tell me, you know, part of this is I've never worked this closely with, as he said, a black man. Mm. He said, I, I don't know what I'm doing right. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And, and I talk about this because so from that day, he and I had the most amazing relationship. And, and unfortunately, he passed away from a, an accident years later. And I think about him all the time mm. because he helped me to understand what I call sometimes people just don't have a mental roadmap yeah. of how to deal with certain things, right? Yeah. And that's what he taught me that day was, I'm not some racist person. I'm not trying to make life difficult for you. In fact, it's the opposite. I just don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And can we help each other, right? And that's part of this as well, is can we help each other? Yeah. The, the transgender community helped me to understand transgender care. I had no roadmap to deal with what they were saying to me in the beginning. I was totally confused. Thanks to this doctor, he helped me to be able to relate that, to say, I don't know what you're talking about. I think we're doing all the things right. And they were saying, no, um, you know, here's some other things you need to think about. And it's because of their voice, we absolutely, thanks to our wonderful physicians, changed the whole transgender services at Kaiser Permanente. Mm-hmm. We now have two or three centers of excellence in how we provide it, uh, the, the, all the services for our transgender population. Well, that came from a community speaking up and yeah. our ability to hear and to figure out now how do we change and redesign um, health and health care for this unique and wonderful group. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I've got one last question for you. So the name of the show is Never Stand Still, as you know, and part of that comes from um, uh, this martial arts philosophy, uh, which is, you know, it's hard to get into the ring without getting hit. Um, And you need to take (laughs) risks. And uh, part of it is you need to kind of, uh, you need to move and, and you need to be able to get back up when you do get hit. And often the measure of a person is how they get back up, not whether they get hit or not. You've had a life where, you know, you've experienced ups and downs as well. Is there something that you might be able to share with our audience in terms of a difficult situation that you went through, some of the lessons it might have taught you and how you got back up and, uh, and, it, and were actually enhanced by that? Yeah. You know, in fact, I, I would go back to the experience that we talked about that um, the time I got sick, the time I had the heart disease and, and 
going through the heart surgery and everything. Yeah. That there there were times through that process that I could have chosen to go down the negative path, right? Woe is me and yeah. you know, life is so hard and singing the blues and and and, uh, and everything. Uh, and quite frankly, I chose the path of, okay, I'll get through this and I'll figure out um, how to get back on the bike and of life and to go on. Uh, and then, of course, it was wonderful to have great resources around me. But in that moment, and, and you'll see if you saw any of my writings, you, you'll yeah. relate to what I'm about to tell you. So, so I'm going through my recovery period and, you know, and it, it, you go from literally not being able to move in a bed to eventually building up your strength. Yeah. If you've never been in a situation where you have lost all of your strength, I mean, where you can't even um, lean up in a bed, mm-hmm. then you you should hopefully never have to go through this. But if you do, yeah. we'll compare notes, right? Yeah. It, it's the most unbelievable feeling that you can have. And then to eventually build your strength back up. So I'm going through my recovery period, and I can I can recall so well these moments. Like the first time I was able to take a shower where they sat me down and just turned the water on. It yeah. was like, oh, man, I'm coming Heaven. back, right? <laughs> yeah. Heaven. Yeah. So I um, eventually uh, go home, and, um, uh, and the day before I left, I had to climb up some stairs at the hospital to demonstrate I could climb up the three stairs to get into my house. So I go home, and I'm home now, and so I'm really feeling like the recovery is coming back. And I go, and I look in the backyard, and I look at the green grass. Mm-hmm. It was the most beautiful green grass that I've ever seen, right? That's the image. Yeah. So I have this thing that I call today beautiful moments, and I have not missed a day. Every single day, it does not matter what that day entails, I have always been able to find a beautiful moment mm. in that day. Mm. And then I take a mental picture of that. I love that. And that's been my therapy uh, from that day that I looked at that green grass. Yeah. And that's what I do. It's a great, inspiring message for uh, for everyone. Um, Bernard, I want to thank you uh, for coming on to the program. You've been a role model for me and an inspiration. And uh It's such a pleasure to have a chance to talk with you. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. All right. All right. Take care.